Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, coming to you from the lands of the Gadigal people. This is ABC News Daily. Is the great Australian dream dead? Owning a home was once seen as a path to a better life, but now it's an ambition out of reach for more and more Australians. The Reserve Bank continuing to hike interest rates and a shortage in properties to buy. Today, business and economics reporter Gareth Hutchins on the government's pledge to build a million more homes and whether it will help and even happen at all. Gareth, we know there's a shortage of places to rent at the moment. There's a housing crisis. There's too many people and there's just not enough places to live. I want to get a sense from you of how we ended up here. Well, to understand this, I think you really have to go back to the Second World War because that's the point in time when the great Australian dream of home ownership was created. I maintain that after the war, every citizen should be able to acquire a home of his own with money provided at an interest rate not exceeding 2%. Before the war, like a, a little over 50% of households were homeowners. Mm-hmm. But from the late 1940s through to the 1950s and into the 60s, that number really surged. So by the mid-1960s, over 70% yeah, of households were homeowners. Mm. The foundation for the years of vast development which are to come. A sturdy roof to live under, a patch of ground, trees and the fresh, clean wind. There is much to be done before every family can enjoy a home of their own. For that is their birthright. Uh, How did it happen? Well, the federal government was really active in housing supply, Mm. getting thousands of homes built. Its supply-side policies were crucial to manufacturing the Australian dream. From the 1950s to the 1970s, there was a large-scale government-funded and government-commissioned construction of housing for low-cost sale. And that was Robert Menzies, like a Liberal Prime Minister. Mm. It was basically seen as a way to combat socialism as well. You know, the, the old wartime uh, advertisement that said, citizens committed to mortgages tend not to be revolutionaries. <laughs> you know, so you, you get people into homes, give them a patch of grass to mow and a garden to tend, and capitalism won't look so bad. Mm. really does sound like the, the golden era in Australian housing. It sounds pretty good, you know, a patch of grass, a home to live in. So what came next? Well, in the 1970s, Australia was hit by stagflation. So this was when the economy was hit by multiple crises at once mm. that had rapidly rising inflation, rising unemployment, falling economic growth, Petrol prices jumped up dramatically, you know, sound familiar? Mm. So politicians responded with a very different suite of policies from their post-war There'd policies. There'd be some who'd argue that Labor is behaving more like a de facto Liberal Party in embracing financial deregulation. We have begun to review the great volume of laws and regulations affecting business which have accumulated over the past 84 years of the Australian Federation. The new policies started to privilege private landlords over first home buyers. Mm -hmm. Researchers say it's when policymakers really put Australia on the path of landlordism. Mm -hmm. And by the 1990s, it was already apparent that we we had a housing problem. 
So the response from government was to help with the demand side of things, not the supply side. So you think of, say, John Howard's first home buyer grants. Federal government's generous first home owner grants. There's $7,000 on offer for first time buyers of established real estate. They've been a big contributor to the housing problem because without the real efforts to increase supply at the same time, all you're doing by giving people money to buy a home is you're bidding up the cost of existing housing. Mm. And there are concerns the building grant will cause a boom in December and then a bust in January. The first home buyer grants that John Howard bought in, I think they were up to $14,000. I mean, they were really great for young Australians, really gave them a chance to enter the housing market, but they were snapping up all the housing at a really rapid rate. So you're pushing up demand without increasing supply. Yeah, so we there was there was a period, um, uh, I think it was around 2017-18, when, when APRA, was the financial regulator, was concerned about the level of private debt that was accumulating in the economy and they brought in some, some policies just to make it harder for investors to get into the property market. Mm. And you saw that the inv- investors really drop off and first home buyers pick up. But then that all started to tail off again as we were heading into the pandemic. Mm, okay, so then COVID hit and uh, we seem to be back in a stage of the 1970s again. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the policy response to COVID really made house prices worse. Mm-hmm. The ultra-low interest rates and the Morrison government's home builder scheme, it saw demand for housing jump significantly and the cost of building materials skyrocket. The cost of new dwellings at the moment accounts for a huge proportion of inflation that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. There's also the problem that in Australia, housing is seen as an asset, a vehicle for generating wealth for the asset owner and not as a fundamental right of citizens living in a democracy. So our, our tax system encourages private individuals to buy properties as investments and then to rent them out to fellow Australians who then have to pay them for the privilege of living inside their asset. And so the the system just isn't working. Mm. Even before COVID, some modelling from the Australian Housing uh, and Urban Research Institute reckoned there were more than 1.5 million Australian households, so it's about one in seven, that were struggling to either enter home ownership or live in the private rental market. Mm. These were people that needed some type of assistance, whether it be social housing, whatever. And we're at the point now where Anglicare says there are practically no rental properties left in Australia that low-income houses can afford. So it's it's a pretty dire situation. Yeah, it's incredible. So in the past, we can see that governments have been trying to get people into the market, help them buy homes. We saw that with John Howard and the First Homeowners Grant. But now they need to stop doing that, right, while they deal with the fact that there is no longer enough homes to actually live in. So let's look, Gareth, at this promise in the budget for a million extra homes. Well, so this is this has been announced by Anthony Albanese's government, Treasurer Jim Chalmers in his first budget. I am proud to announce that we have just struck a new national housing accord between governments, investors and industry <laughs> to build the affordable homes that our country desperately needs. There are a couple of different plans in this thing. So the government says it will set aside $350 million to build 10,000 affordable dwellings from 2024, so up to 2030, so it's about five years. They say the states and territories will add to this commitment 
with their own contributions to build an extra 10,000 homes. And on top of this is an election promise to build 30,000 new social and affordable homes with the returns it will make from a $10 billion fund. It's calling the Housing Australia Future Fund. So this thing will be so big that it will be generating so, so much money every year just through you know the, the returns that they will use those returns to pour into the new social and affordable homes. Mm, okay, so that's about 50,000 new homes. Yeah. But the government's talking about a million new the affordable of homes. This accord is big and it's bold. It's an aspiration to build one million new, well-located homes over five years from 2024. So how did it get to that number? Yeah, this is something that we're, we're, we're going to have to keep an eye on because mm. that, that number comes from the government's, it's basically an agreement between the federal and state governments, investors and industry. Mm-hmm. They're all going to get together and talk about ways to make land and zoning available for all of these new homes and to quicken the pace of planning approvals, kind of, you know, really kind of get something started here. Mm. They're hoping that this accord will encourage investors, it's like super funds basically, to get involved with this building program. They'd like investors to provide the funding to build hundreds of thousands of new dwellings. The idea is to provide one million homes by the end of the decade, but it's an aspirational target. Mm, right. Now that, that, that word aspirational is a politician's word. <laughs> it's not a commitment. It's not set in stone. It's not a plan. It's an aspiration. So they'd like to see one million new dwellings built. But let's see how it goes. Mm, just explain that super funds aspect a bit more. How will that work? Yeah, um, well, super funds, they want to invest their money in stable long-term investments. Mm-hmm. And in this regard, the idea is that if they can be incentivized to invest in these new homes, they'll be able to generate a steady profit on the rent of the homes. It's, it's not an unusual idea. Super funds already invest in housing projects all around the world. Australian funds do that. Mm-hmm. But the, the problem is they don't necessarily like taking on any construction risk. They, they, they traditionally prefer to invest in an existing asset, you know, like a, a block of build-to-rent apartments that's already been constructed, which they can then invest in as a stable asset that has a high occupancy rate and generates predictable income. Gareth, if the government is successful, and as you mentioned, it's an aspiration, but if it does manage to build a million more homes, how do we know that's going to be enough? Knowing how Australian policymakers consistently fail in this space, Mm. um, we're going to have to keep an eye on it. Like year after year, they fail to address the housing crisis and homelessness. Mm -hmm. You know, recent research from the University of Sydney found that we need at least 36,000 new social and affordable homes every year but prior to the pandemic, we were building about 3,000. Mm. You know, and, and a lot of what the Labor government's talking about won't begin until 2024. Um, and the only hard figures they've put on this is the 50,000 new dwellings by 2030. So it's a really significant yearly shortfall. But, you know, you have to hold out hope. If, if, if industry funds and some associations say that this, they're, they're saying this plan could be a game changer, mm. it leaves a little room for optimism. Okay, but in the short term, Gareth, in the next five years, six years, even eight years, will things actually be any better? And 
I mean, will we ever see a return to that golden era, the Australian dream? Can we have that back? <laughs> it would be lovely, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, my my dad was a builder. Uh, he bought his first home in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. He was making about 10 and a half grand a year. The house he bought was a little over $30,000. So that was three times his annual income. Mm-hmm. At the moment, in a city like Sydney, the house prices can be 11 times, 14 times your annual income. Mm. So the great Australian dream, I mean, it would be great to go back to that, but that is going to take a huge effort from all sectors of government to achieve it. It's also going to mean that we're going to have to start privileging homeowners over landlords again. Mm -hmm. This is a path we've been on for 30 years to get to this point. To reverse that trend is going to take a lot of effort. Gareth Hutchins is a business and economics reporter based in Canberra. Australian home prices have fallen for six months in a row as interest rates continue to climb. This episode was produced by Flint Duxfield and Chris Dengate, who also did the mix. Our supervising producer this week is Sydney Pete. I'm Sam Hawley. ABC News Daily will be back again tomorrow. To get in touch with the team, email us on abcnewsdaily at abc.net.au. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.